Hello and welcome back to the Bentley Prairie Museum podcast. My name is Alexander and I'm here as your host for this episode. This podcast has been established alongside a temporary exhibition called Bentley Prairie's Bunker, Defending Britain from Nazi and Nuclear Threat. Bentley Priory Museum is currently running this project to investigate its top-secret underground bunker, which was used both in the Second World War and the Cold War periods. This project wouldn't have been possible without the funding given to the museum by the National Lottery Heritage Fund. This podcast will be highlighting some of the exciting stories of the personnel who worked down in the bunker. This episode, The Eyes and Ears, The ROC Part 3, is the final instalment where we will be exploring the history of the Royal Observer Corps and its connection to RAF Bentley Priory. We are joined by podcast volunteer Tim, who will give you some background about the ROC before diving in to listen to members recount their last days at RAF Bentley Priory. 30 years on from the bulk of the Royal Observer Corps having stood down, how do its former members look back on it? Starting with its final commandant, Air Marshal Cliff Spink. Then we went to the NRCs, and as I have previously explained, around the country. I, I was rather sad when they as well, after my time, were disbanded. So the Royal Observer Corps um, then eventually finished with the NRCs which, I, as I say, I thought was a, maybe a, a move I wouldn't have gone to. And even today, I, I, I think there's some, some reason to have some sort of level of final communications within the country. In this and later clips, references made to NRCs. These were the cause nuclear reporting cells later called NBCCs, or Nuclear, Biological and Chemical Cells, to reflect their expanded role. I was here from uh, 1977 until uh, 1993. Um, what happened in 1991, it was deemed that um, the role of the ROC was no longer required with the ending of the Cold War, um, but we carried on um, as the nuclear reporting cell um, so just a very small handful of people around the country uh, carried on for another few years, um, but um, I, 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 I finished in 1993. So um, uh, it, was, it was great fun and um, lots of uh, camaraderie from uh, with, the, with the people we used to, we used to work with and uh, um, used to have social gatherings at Christmas and things like that. So we had a good sort of esprit de corps um, and there was, you know, the occasional... Um, Occasional sort of social trip outside. You know, went on a sort of walk once a year, and um, you know the occasional sort of uh, outing. It was um, yeah, it was a uh, yeah, it was we did get friendly, you know, good friends. That was very sad because the Royal Observer Corps had been in existence for a long time, and it was a large voluntary organisation that or, or in uniform uniformed voluntary organisation and it spread its it had its tentacles well over the whole of the country. The thing was run by volunteers, dedicated volunteers, and they'd been they'd gone all through the Second World War and then they stayed to do the new role of plotting fallout. So the history of the Royal Observer Corps is quite 
quite long and a thing in its own right, but it just so happens we we were here. It was time well spent, really. Yeah, I mean, we never, we never sort of you know brought it into action, uh, but I think um, you know I think it, you know we needed to be there. Obviously, you know you got to sort of prepare in case the case the worst scenario happens. So I feel it was a time well spent, and uh, you know, I got some pleasure from got pleasure from it as well through the you know people I met and the esprit de corps and the camaraderie of it. So I, I did enjoy my time in the Royal Observer Corps. When the RSC sort of stood down altogether, um, an organisation was formed called the Royal Observer Corps Association, which um, you know most of us belong to, and it does have the um, occasional events. Um, and we used to meet about once a year um, for a meal in local home in Bushy, and very occasionally they come to um, you know, a few meet at Bentley Priory. I think perhaps the best experience was. Um, on exercises, I think, um, you know, that's when the, the crew sort of really came together and the, the comradeship became more strong. So I think it's toss up between that and um, one or two sort of good sort of social outings we had. But yeah, I think perhaps during exercise times, because then it became more serious and you became more aware of the strong bond uh, with, with comrades, really. So, um, that was, uh, that was the best time, I think. I think in recent times it didn't get much um, recognition because I think the public didn't know much about about what we actually did. You know, probably their image of the Royal Observer Corps was people sitting on cliffs or tops of buildings with binoculars, uh, waiting for, watching for enemy aircraft to come sort of flying over and um, they you know, wouldn't have realised what we, they wouldn't have known what we, what we did you know, then what we did in, in our time and what there was still for us to do. So I think probably we've been forgotten. We probably didn't get much recognition during the time I was in the Corps. A major review instituted by the Home Office in the late 1980s, combined with the end of the Cold War, resulted in a decision that its United Kingdom warning and monitoring organisation was to be disbanded. And as a result, the requirement for the ROC to act as its field force would lapse. Sadly, observers would not find out about this until a formal announcement was made in Parliament on the 10th of July 1991 that the ROC would be stood down. It being decided that this would take place at the end of September that same year. Despite the decision announced in July 1991 to stand down the bulk of the Corps, the services of the nuclear reporting cells, including the one at RAF Bentley Priory, continued, together with a small command corps still at Bentley Priory. I hope you enjoyed hearing the many perspectives of people who spent time in the Royal Observer Corps. We now have an interview carried out by Tim with John Shear, who is a member of the ROC Association Heritage Team. I talked recently with John Shear, a former member of the Royal Observer Corps. John, firstly, could you tell me something about yourself? Yes, I'm John Shear. I served in the, uh, the Corps from uh, 1982 to December 1995. I understand that the ROC Heritage Team have been involved with events at Bentley Priory Museum. Can you tell me something about that? 
Uh, yes, as a sort of part of our uh, outreach, uh, we attend quite a few events, and one of those is is at Brentley Priory um, a few times a year, and um, we do displays of equipment, um, uniforms, and uh, we've done some presentations there in the past. And one of the key ones is the annual Battle of Britain uh, event in September at Bentley Priory uh, Museum, uh, where we uh, we've normally, well, even last year, did manage to put up a, a wartime post. You know, so we get dressed up in old wartime things, have the equipment. Uh, and uh, we'd love to talk to you about our proud heritage and what we do. So please come and visit us. Uh, so, John, just just who are the ROC Heritage Team? Um, the Heritage Team um, was actually formed as an independent subcommittee of the Royal Observer Corps uh, Association, and it was started and is still under the leadership of uh, Edwina Holden, MBE, and she's the uh, National Heritage Officer. Uh, our purpose is to preserve the heritage of the ROC, publicise its history, and maintain the uh, heritage website, which I'll give you the website details in a moment. Um, but there's seven of us, all volunteers. We've got a mix with over 70 years of combined uh, uniform service. And there are others with important specialist skills. And one of those is our uh, webmaster. So the large website covers the ROC's uh, history from 1925 to our final stand down in 1995. If you look on the website, we've got all the roles, the equipment and much, much more. And now for the website is www.roc-heritage, that's a minus on your computer, .co.uk. Where do you get inquiries from, John? And can you give me an example? Yes, uh, we, we get it, uh, queries uh, every almost every day of the week. Um, some of those are from relatives who've served, who want to know more about um, what their relatives uh, did. Um, and sometimes they mention personal mementos that they've got. And we, we've got an archive that we like to keep uh, that very personal to, to the people. But uh, we get things from local history societies who, who need more information, um, film companies, TV companies, and sometimes from overseas. Uh, and as an example, from a history society we've been involved with, um, only this week, um, it was from Dimchurch, where there's a Martello Tower there. Uh, and this Martello Tower in June 1944 um, was the first place to, to spot one of the, uh, the V1s. But actually, there's two Martello Towers. And the query was, had the blue plaque that we've been involved with been put on the right one? Uh, and and uh, subsequently, it looks like uh, that Wikipedia is wrong. What about the future? Well, we're going to continue as long as we can. Uh, and if you look at our uh, badge for the Royal Observer Corps, it shows an Elizabethan beacon lighter um, with a flame on his torch. We're trying to keep that flame alive. And this year, 2021, it's 30 years since the Corps were finally stood down. So please remember us. 
Thank you for that, John. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. As a final reflection on the OOC, we are now joined by podcast volunteer Eve, who will read you a eulogy written by Observer Lieutenant Dillis Allen on the 14th of July 1991 for the Royal Observer Corps. A eulogy for the Royal Observer Corps. They came from the highlands and the islands, from the hills and the valleys, from the moorland and the shores, from the cities and the industrial heartland. They were an ill-assorted fellowship, hailing from farms and factories, shops and offices, hospitals and school, banks and warehouses. Their skills were legion. They were cooks and seamstresses, drivers and waitresses, managers and teachers, salesmen and radiographers, housewives and conservationists, builders and cleaners, clerks and secretaries, accountants and solicitors, fishermen and herdsmen. Their age, colour, creed covered the whole spectrum of these islands, yet together they formed a cohesive and charismatic whole, a union of comradeship, a fellowship without equal. For 60 years they came forward and volunteered to serve their country. Their history and traditions grew, their skills developed and after 1940 they stood proudly having been honoured by their king for a job well done. They would do any job, go anywhere, content in the knowledge that they served. Their commitment to the dedication has never been brought into question. Does not a nation's strength lie in its volunteer spirit? On the 10th of July 1991, 10,000 volunteers heard that they were no longer needed. With a stroke of a bureaucrat's pen, they were to be stood down. Take heart, Great Britain. Their spirit will not be so easily extinguished. Their memory cannot be erased, and when they are needed, they will gather again from the highlands and the islands. I hope you have enjoyed our three-part special covering the role of the ROC and some of the voices who have played a vital role in protecting Britain from Nazi and nuclear threat. And on that fitting note of the eulogy and the stand-down of the Corps, we are also saying goodbye to one of our podcast volunteers, Eve, who has contributed an enormous amount to these episodes and who initially approached me in creating this series. So I'd just like to say thank you for all the hard work and good luck. We will be back again in May with a new podcast episode. So until next time, thank you.